think our team's in a much better place um, as a group. Holistically, I think we're in a much better place. So we're on the right path right now. I feel like we're on the right path, and we just got to stay on the path. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Boot Up, the LSU Basketball Podcast. As always, I am Cody Workstrom, digital media reporter for LSU Athletics. Back after a couple of weeks, and a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, fortunately, it seems like LSU is trending in the right direction, as you heard Will Wade talk about there. The Tigers are now 20-9 in the SEC, 11-5 and overall, have won two of three, and go into the final week of SEC play with a road trip to Arkansas on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, as I recorded at about 10 a.m. on Tuesday, and I come back Saturday for a home game for senior tribute with Georgia in a pretty good spot, LSU is. Uh, if they can win two games this week, they basically lock up, I think they officially lock up, a, uh, a double buy in the SEC tournament, and uh, I think if they win one of two, um, they'll be in a pretty good spot to lock up that double buy. So right now, LSU's tied for second in the SEC with Auburn, and Florida is a game back. Mississippi State is a game back. South Carolina is two games back. The The, the tiebreakers get a little bit complicated when you start getting into three-way ties. Um, for example, at, you know, I, I think once you get to a three-way tie, basically the tiebreaker is head-to-head, and then you look at the the next opponent, the, the common opponent. And so there's cases where LSU and Florida – uh, LSU would be the tiebreaker ahead of Florida, uh, and there's cases where LSU would be behind Florida, depending on if they're tied with Auburn or if they're with Mississippi State. I'm not going to get into all that because it's a little bit presumptuous. You kind of have to see how the games play out. I, I don't like playing um, all these different options when there's still two games left in the season to play, but I do want to look at a couple things today. I want to look at LSU's resume going into the last week of the regular season for both the NCAA tournament and the SEC tournament, obviously, which I touched on there. And I want to hear from Will Wade, who had a press conference Monday to kind of preview this final week and talk about some things. And at the very end, I'm going to play the entire audio from Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's press conference last week. Of course, his jersey was retired on Saturday at LSU in a really awesome halftime ceremony. I wrote a story about it at LSU Sports.net. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, I was trying to think of how I wanted to handle that with, with in terms of the podcast. I think I'll just play this whole press conference because it's really insightful. All the questions are mic'd up. Sometimes with these press conferences, the questions aren't mic'd up, and so it's the audio is not great. It's just kind of background mumbling and then a, an answer. But with this press conference, all the questions are mic'd up. So I'm going to play the whole thing for you at, at the very end of the show. If you want to listen to it, I think it's it's really interesting. Uh, it's really good to hear from Mahmoud. That he's a guy that I think we all grew up, if we grew up around LSU basketball, uh, idolizing the way that he played and uh, I, I know his games used to play in my high school basketball locker room all the time, that, that game against Loyola Marymount. And I used to watch his film all the time and just marvel at him and try to do his killer crossover and all that stuff. So really cool to see him um, kind of embraced back in the LSU family after having been gone for for a while. I think he said it had been 30 years since he'd really been back. So great to see him back. Great to see him honored at halftime the way he should be. We'll come back at the very end with all the audio. But before we do that, let's very, very quickly look at LSU's resume heading into the last week. Like I said, LSU's 20-9 and overall, 11-5 and in the SEC. Right now, their net ranking, which is the NCAA tournament resume ranking, kind of replaced RPI a couple of years ago, for those who don't know, uh, is 32. And I looked at what 32 means. If you just kind of extrapolate it out, that would that would essentially be what, a, a, a nine seed, like the first the first nine seed, maybe the last eight seed. Um, math escapes me at the moment, but you're kind of on that eight nine range. And when you look at the 
uh, bracketology from Joe Lenardi, from Jerry Palm. That's kind of the two guys that I look at most. Joe Lenardi has LSU as an eight seed going to Omaha right now, and Jerry Palm has LSU as a nine seed going into Omaha. Now, if I'm LSU, and 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 I'll get to some of the other resume things in a second. If I'm LSU, and this is just me, this is my personal preference. I don't like that eight nine spot a whole lot. I'd rather move up to seven or even fall to ten. And not that LSU is going to want to lose any games here and and hurt their resume, but the the eight nine games tough regardless. And then you've got the one seed in the next game. And I think right now in college basketball, the drop off from a one seed, which I think both those projections had LSU playing Baylor, to a two seed is pretty drastic. I think with college basketball this year, it's been a it's been a wild year for even for college basketball's standards. But you, you're looking at the, the 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 top four teams. I'm looking at Ken Palm. Kansas is 26 and 3, Gonzaga's 29 and 2, Baylor's 26 and 3, San Diego State's 28 and 1. After that, you have a pretty big drop off. Dayton is 27 and 2, but the rest of the teams have 6 to 7 to 9 losses. And to me that means they're they're beatable. Not that they're not good teams, but they're they're much more beatable than the teams with just two or three losses. So I I think there's a pretty big drop off. And so if I'm LSU, I'm really wanting to work up to that 7 seed range, which I think LSU has a good shot of doing for a couple of reasons. One, LSU has some metrics that really, really favor them. First is the strength of schedule numbers. LSU right now is 13th nationally in strength of schedule and they're 8th nationally in non-conference strength of schedule. That tends to be the most consistent metric that the, the committee looks at when they're evaluating seating. And I think it can get LSU bumped up a little bit higher than where they're being projected right now. First of all, it's a credit to Will Wade. I've said this a million times on this podcast. He is, among his many strengths, he's the best scheduler that, that I've ever seen. He knows the metrics. He understands it. To, to have the 13th strength of schedule and the 8th non-conference strength of schedule with this list of teams on your strength of schedule, Utah State, Rhode Island, Missouri State, East Tennessee State, Liberty, th- that's the kinds of team, Bowling Green, that's the kinds of teams VCU did I say VCU? I don't know. That's the sort of teams that LSU scheduled in the non-conference this year. It's not like they lined up a murderer's row of Baylor, Kansas, you know, all these Duke, all these elite programs to get this really tough strength of schedule. Will Wade just got a bunch of teams that were going to win a bunch of basketball games, but were still beatable for LSU. Now, they didn't beat VCU. They probably could have and maybe should have. They didn't beat Utah State. They probably could have and maybe should have. Same for East Tennessee State at home, even USC on a neutral site. But they did beat Rhode Island. That was part of a tournament. But still, they beat Rhode Island. They beat Bowling Green. They beat Liberty at home, which are they still Liberty's only – no, Liberty lost a couple conference games. But regardless, the, Will Wade understands scheduling, and, and it's a fine line between scheduling a really, really tough schedule and scheduling a schedule that's going to have advantageous metrics and still be winnable. And I think he knew coming into the season, he's talked about this in the last couple of weeks where, um, and it's something that I've talked about on the podcast and something that I may talk about now. You, you've kind of had to reset your expectations with this team because coming into the year, and I know this, this isn't Will Wade being a revisionist historian. This is something that, that me and him had talked about at, at times. The expectations for him are always very high, but the realistic expectations for this team were a floor of let's finish top four in the SEC Let's get the double buy. Let's get into the NCAA tournament and see what happens. It wasn't necessarily as the, the the floor last year was probably a little bit higher where 
yeah, you got a chance to make a run at the SEC championship. You're a little bit deeper last year. You're a little bit more explosive with Tremont Waters. A little bit more defensively solid with Cavell Bigby Williams. As LSU got off to this crazy start this year, 17 and four, eight and zero in SEC play, maybe some of the, those expectations perceptually started shifting. Oh, maybe we can make a run at the SEC title. Maybe we can make a run at a, a three seed or a two seed. And this last little stretch where LSU struggled a little bit, they're three and three and five in their last eight. It's kind of come back to that preseason understanding. Okay, this is of who we are. Um, this is what we can do this season, and, and this is how we have to position ourselves for the NCAA tournament. So all that to say this, when Will Wade was scheduling this year, in past years or in future years, he might say, hey, let's sign up for a top 10 non-conference matchup. Let's sign up for the elite of the elite, the, the, the blue blood non-conference matchup. And that, that may happen in the future. I haven't looked at future schedules. But this year, he knew he had to be smart about scheduling beatable teams but teams that would be strong in terms of metrics. And that's exactly what he did. And that's why, even though LSU has struggled on the on the floor in terms of results lately, going three and five in their last eight, they're still in a position to not only get in the NCAA tournament pretty safely, which I think they are right now, but I think sneak up a little bit higher in the seeding than, um, than, than some people are projecting. So again, they're on the eight, nine cusp right now. But like I said, non-conference schedule strong. Um, I looked at team rankings, which is one of the websites that I look at. They actually have LSU as a potential six seed based on their S-curve, which is a little bit less subjective and a little bit more data objective than than Lenardi and Palm. Um, there, there isn't really much human element in what team rankings is doing. And I think the computers and, and the, the, the strict objective metrics favor LSU. Now, the one thing that LSU's got that they really have to improve on, and that's where this week is important, is they're three and seven and quad one wins. And I, I was looking at it earlier. I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now. I'll pull it up as I'm talking. LSU was in kind of that, that I think they had four um, quad one wins, and then one of them fell out. And so there, there may be a win in there for LSU that could sneak back into the, to a quad one um, that, that right now isn't a quad one. But with Arkansas um, on the road this week, that's going to be a quad one win opportunity. And if LSU could get that fourth quad one win, going into the SEC tournament, maybe pick up one or two there as well, then you're starting to boost your resume to where um, the 8-9 seed is kind of a thing of the past. And now you're looking at a 6 or a 7, which is much more favorable, uh, in my opinion, than having to play a 1 seed in the second round, if, of course, you can take care of your first-round business. But getting a little bit ahead of myself there, getting a little bit ahead of where LSU is at the moment, because they've still got to take care of business. They've got two tough games this week at Arkansas is going to be Extremely difficult, and uh, in Georgia at home will be no walk in the park either. So uh, LSU does have their hands full, but they are playing a little bit better. And you can kind of get a sense from Will Wade where, where he feels about his teams. You know, some days he comes in and he's a little bit more frustrated. Some days he comes in, he's a little bit more optimistic. Monday, I felt a little bit of cautious optimism from Will Wade. When he was talking about his team, some of the things he was saying, he was very explicit about it. But even the tone, you could tell that he feels good about this team and maybe better than I thought he would feel about this team at the moment. I think our team's in a much better place um, as a group holistically. I think we're in a much better place. So I think, um, you know, we were just we we're just off. We were off at Florida for whatever reason. We were connected and we were really, really good at against South Carolina. We were connected and we were really, really good against A&M. Not just because we were good against A&M and South Carolina. I mean, you know, you got to keep it together. But we don't have – uh, you know, we've got – we're on the right path right now. I feel like we're on the right path, and we just got to stay on the path. 
so you go back and look at LSU's results of late. I mentioned they've they've lost uh, five of their last eight, three and three and five in their last eight. If you look at that stretch, the only egregious loss in there is the at Vanderbilt loss. The rest of them are either excusable, understandable, or losses that LSU probably wouldn't have been favored in going in. I'm not going to go back and look at the lines, but at Auburn, you're not really favored in that arena, even if you're 9-0 in the conference, how they beat Vanderbilt. I just think Auburn's still going to be the favorite there. At Alabama is kind of a coin flip game. That's kind of what it turned into for LSU. Um, Kentucky at home, that's, again, another coin flip game that I'm pretty sure both of those games LSU was was not favored in in terms of Ken Palm, which is, is kind of what I tend to look at. And then Florida on the road, again, another game where I think it's explicable. So is that the right context of explicable? I don't think so. I think inexplicable is a word. I don't think explicable is a word. And if it is, it's not commonly used. So um, there you go. There's your word of the day, explicable. Back on track. Um, if you take care of that Vanderbilt loss, and I know you, you can't do that, but you're 12-4 and four in the conference and you're 21-8 and eight overall, there's a big difference there. It's just one game, but it feels a lot different. So maybe this Arkansas game is one that if you were looking at it, a few weeks ago, LSU wouldn't have been picked in. I know Arkansas has had its struggles, but you're at Bud Walton. They're kind of back against the wall as well, trying to claw their way into an NCAA tournament role. They've got some really good players in Isaiah Joe and and Mason Jones, who we'll talk about in a little bit, I think, and briefly. Maybe this is a game where you can make up for that, get to 12-5 and five in the conference, and then take care of Georgia at home. Then you're 13-5 and five in the conference, and, and that's, to me, before the season, is exactly what I thought. I thought LSU was a 12-6 and six to 13-5 and five type of team, with a uh, with with a higher higher C, uh, excuse me a higher floor uh, in terms of I didn't think they were going to be 500 in the conference or anything like that but maybe not quite as high of a ceiling um, so again the the Vanderbilt loss not great but I think LSU has a chance to kind of pick up with with a win at Arkansas and, and sort of negate that bad loss and and get back to where I think they should have been all along. From a news perspective, uh, the, since we last talked, Charles Manning uh, broke the same bone in his other foot that he broke earlier this season in, in his right foot. I think it was his right foot earlier, now it's his left foot. So he's he's out for a little while. If he can get back for um, at some point in the NCAA tournament, that would be huge. Honestly, when I found out about this, it, it was like a gut punch to me. I love Charles Manning's game. I love his game both ways. If you look at his stats, they're just, I mean, they're so good. He's exactly what this team needs. Um, it's a big bummer. But one of the things that I thought was a bright spot at Florida, um, which, which was a game that didn't have many bright spots, was the play of James Bishop. I know he didn't come back and, and play um, against Texas A&M, which Will Wade kind of went back to shrinking his rotation. But James Bishop gave you some really positive minutes against Florida. He had a good energy about him. He had a good presence about him. And James Bishop, from the conversations that I've had, he's one of those guys that um, it's, it's something that I think a lot of freshmen go through just needs that little bit of confidence. Incredibly hard worker, incredibly high character. I think he's got SEC-level skills where he's going to score a lot of points for LSU, but just needs that little bit of confidence uh, infused into him. And I think that Florida game could have done it for him. And I think uh, what Wade talked about with Charles Manning being out, that uh, in the A&M game that went with Marshall Graves, who's a little bit more of a solid option, a proven option, a guy that Will Wade knows is going to be in the right spot, not make mistakes. And Bishop is, I think, a little bit more of a kind of the opposite. He's a freshman with maybe a higher ceiling than Marshall, but you just don't know exactly what he's going to give you on any given night because he's a freshman. 
But I think James Bishop will be worked back into the rotation in the next couple games. I thought he looked really good against Florida, and I'm curious to see what he can give LSU down the stretch. He pressured the ball well. He made some things happen offensively. He missed a layup right at the rim that if he makes that, his numbers statistically look a little bit better. But you could just see he had a he had a presence about him in that game that I thought was really good. And uh, And going into this Arkansas game, I think the biggest thing for LSU as a team – is finding consistency, finding the ability to play well in games back-to-back. If you look at this this stretch of, of eight games where LSU's kind of dipped in form, they've, they've kind of waxed and waned, right? They played well at South Carolina. They played well against Texas A&M, but they struggled with Florida. Um, they played okay against Kentucky, but they didn't quite get the job done. They just haven't really put back-to-back games together in about a month. And Will Wade talked about that on Monday. Here he is talking about uh, LSU needing to find some consistency. To your point, we haven't played back-to-back good games in a month. You know, we, we've kind of been – we've not kind of. We've been way up and down, more down than up, really. Um, and so we need – you know, our challenge is to play good games back-to-back because guess what? We're going to have to start playing good games back-to-back when we get in tournament play or we're going to be done real quick. No better time than the present to to find some consistency for LSU. And as I was listening to that audio clip, I was reminded of something that Will Wade said. I believe it was after the game – on Saturday after the win over Texas a and I'm not going to play the audio. I'm just going to paraphrase it. But basically, Will Wade was talking about um, expectations, about um, consistency in, in building a consistent program. And it's more of a big picture conversation. It's more of a big picture look. But I think it's an important one to have right now. LSU, I have to go back to the 2017 season, 2016-17. When I was covering the team for Tiger Rag and I was on the beat, and I was there at just about every home game, I think every home game, and every single media session as LSU went 10-21 and 21 overall, 2-16 and 16 in the SEC, and lost 15 games in a row. And if you would have come to me in the middle of that season and said, hey, in the next three years, four years, LSU is going to have back-to-back 21 seasons, they're going to get into the Sweet 16, they're going to get into the NCAA tournament consistently, and they're going to be at the top of the SEC consistently, and they're going to win an SEC championship. I wasn't an LSU fan at the time. I was in the media, but had I been an LSU fan, would have jumped at it, would have signed up immediately for it. And I think this year, especially with that skid where LSU lost four or five, um, the Vanderbilt and Auburn losses and the Alabama-Kentucky losses with Missouri in between, I think the fan base got a little bit negative. I think the fan base got a little bit aggravated, a little bit frustrated as, trust me, me as an observer – I was frustrated too. Those players in the locker room, they were frustrated too. Will Wade, his staff, they were frustrated too. Nobody wants to lose four or five. But I think it's been a good opportunity, especially as LSU started to find some form and get back to where I think they need to be and and playing a little bit better than they did during that stretch. I think it's a good opportunity to take a bigger picture perspective on things. This is a program right now that's moving in a very, very good direction. Not not just on the court with the results, the back-to-back 21 seasons, which I think is the first time and. I want to say Will Wade said it was the mid-80s since they've done that. That the, You can fact-check me on that, please. Don't take that as gospel. Back-to-back NCAA tournaments, which, it, of course, this season isn't locked up yet, but it's looking like that. For the first time since, what, 0405 and 0506, um, the most wins, I think, in the three-win stretch since the mid-80s at some point, where you look back at the 2017 season, seven, uh, excuse me, 2018, 2017-18 season, I also won 18 games, 28 last year. 20 and counting this year 
it's been a good run, and the future looks good too. LSU signed a good class so far. They got a couple good commitments that I, I can't really talk about specific commitments um, for compliance purposes, but the, the news is out there. They've landed some some big players lately on the on the recruiting trail. Everything seems to be trending in a very very good direction. So I'm here for it, and I, I think what's happened is the floor of the program has been elevated dramatically, and the ceiling of the program. It's always been a high ceiling program, right? LSU has always had. These, these individual seasons, these moments of brilliance, the 06 Final Four run, the the um, the, the, the times that John Br- – the, the 2001 Sweet 16. There's been um, peaks in, in LSU basketball where the team's been really good and they've made really, really good runs, and especially in my lifetime. I was born in 88, so I, I kind of consider the 90s and 2000s and, and 2010s. Um, Johnny Jones' team that, that made the, 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 the NCAA tournament – in what was it, fourteen, fifteen? Um, even the fifteen, sixteen team that didn't make the tournament, there was a, a peak feeling to it because Ben Simmons was on campus, Antonio Blakeney was on campus. It had that excitement to it, but it, it had always been peaks and valleys. It had always been high one season, low the next season, high one season, low the next season. Since again the nineteen eighty eight when I was born and kind of the, the post Dale Brown era. Now it seems like it certainly feels like, and Will Wade's worked his tail off to make it this way that the floor is much higher and that LSU can consistently be in a good position to win. I haven't read the the column yet. It literally just came to my mind. But I was told – I talked to Scott Rabelais the other day, and I was told um, by somebody, I can't remember who, that he had written a column about this very topic, about Will Wade trying to find some consistency. And me and Scott had this exact conversation um, after the Saturday game where you're, you're just looking for that, that consistency – um, from LSU basketball every year where they can be in the top four and make runs. And that's the position LSU is trending toward right now. And I'm excited about it. Like, I really am. I, I've, I've, I've said it before in, in various places. This team, this year's team, isn't technically like my, from an aesthetic perspective, my ideal basketball team to watch. Like, I'd love if they had Tremont Waters back. I just I just love his game. I just love the electricity that he brings. Uh, I'd love if they have Cabell, Cabell Bigby Williams back and the way that he ran the floor and dunked balls and protected the rim. And I love teams that play fast and shoot a lot of threes and all that stuff. But what Will Wade has done a fantastic job of, and aesthetics mean absolutely nothing, um, results matter. And he's gotten results, and he's built teams, um, that, or he's built around teams to to bring out the very best of them. And I, I think he's gotten very close to the best out of this team. Not every single game, um, not every single day. And like he said, they're still trying to find consistency. But I think from a results perspective, like I said, take the Vanderbilt loss kind of out of the equation, they've basically done as expected or slightly better than I expected coming into the season. Maybe that was my expectation. Maybe they were too low. I don't know. But all that to say this, I like where the program is right now. I like that LSU basketball has expectations. I like that fans are listening and, and fired up and think that the team should be a little bit better because that means they have high expectations and it's not that 10 and 21 season. It's not that two and 16 SEC stretch where they lost 15 in a row and nobody cared. That was, that was rough for me just working and covering the team. And it was rough talking to the guys. Skyler Mays went through it. Um, Marshall Graves went through it. Like those guys remember that. And so I, I I like where the program is right now. Uh, I'm hoping that LSU can get hot down the stretch here and do something again in March and, you know, make some noise at the SEC tournament, which they didn't last year. And I'm sure they're going to be hungry to do do something in the NCAA tournament. I think Will Wade has the chance to be a very good NCAA tournament coach, and I'm excited to see him in that venue. Um, but but I like where, where the program is from a results perspective right now, and I like that the floor has been raised and that the ceiling is still very, very high. So 
that's uh, that's my rant. I'm done ranting. Um, let's talk about Arkansas very, very quickly, and then I'll play the Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf audio. The thing that worries me about Arkansas, in addition to playing on the road, is one, they're healthy. Isaiah Joe is back. Um, he's been electric in the last couple of games. Will Wade was talking about it yesterday. He said, you know, the, the couple of games that he missed, I think he missed, what, five, six games in a row with with an injury. Um, he just looks fresher um, than, than everybody else on the floor. And if you look at his last few games, 21 points, 22 points, 26 points, uh, five of 10 from three, two of eight from three, a little bit of a dip there, but four of 10 from three in the next game. He's getting the free throw line a ton. He's, he's hadn't missed a free throw in the last three games. It looks like, let me do the math real quick, 22 of 22 at the line. He's playing lights out, um, which makes them a different team. He was pretty quiet against LSU in the first game. He only had 13 points. I think most of them came in the second half. He may have gone scoreless in the first half, but he's playing well. And then Mason Jones, who played well in that first game against LSU, he gets to the free throw line so much that makes me nervous with this LSU team that doesn't have a lot of depth right now. If you look at Mason Jones's numbers, he draws eight fouls a game. Unbelievable. That's second in the country. His free throw rate is top 30 in the country. He's shot 250 free throws this season in 28 games. He's shooting almost 10 free throws a game. Um, that's that's unbelievable and uh, puts a ton of pressure on your defense. He can make three-pointers too. His assist rate's high. He doesn't turn it over much. So those two guys concern me. They're both taller guards, um, different style of games. Jones is a big bruiser. Joe is a little bit quicker and, and a little bit more nimble. Uh, and then there's Jimmy Witt, who crushed LSU last game, especially in the first half with his little mid-range jumpers um, that is so difficult to to guard because it's so rare. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the country. He's only he's only shot one three all season, but he's, uh, he's shooting 49% on twos, and most of them are mid-rangers, which are really tough. So he adds a different dimension. Desi Sills shoots a ton of threes. He can come in and get hot in a hurry. Adrian Bailey always plays well against LSU, a Louisiana kid that is actually shooting 42% from three this year on a small sample size, but gets a bunch of rebounds. Um, they're going to play small. They're going to play Bailey at the five, basically with four guards. Jalen Harris can come in and do some things. It's just a tricky team that um, that defends really well from the three-point line. They're first in, in the SEC in three-point defense. Not that LSU's been great in, in three-point shooting, although they've been better on the road than at home. But it's it's a tough matchup. And the thing that, like I said, the thing that worries me most is Joe and Jones. Joe getting hot as a shooter. Jones getting to the free throw line a ton. That can really wear you down. It can get LSU in foul trouble. That concerns me. But uh, we'll, we'll see what Will Wade does to combat that. I'm curious if he goes big and tries to overwhelm Arkansas with size, which is kind of what happened in the first game, if my memory serves me correctly. I think LSU, pull up the rebounding numbers here, just crushed them on the boards, right? Yeah, Arkansas had 24 rebounds. <laughs> LSU had 23 offensive rebounds and 53 rebounds total. So LSU crushed them on the boards in that game. Uh, Trenton Wofford had a huge game. And so I'm curious if LSU just tries to overwhelm them with size uh, and Andre Hyatt gets a little bit more of a run than, than a James Bishop type or if uh, if LSU tries to match up in terms of, of going small, which they can do with Marlon Taylor at the four uh, and maybe a Days or even a, a Trinan as a, as a quote-unquote five. Um, I think LSU will try to lean on its size. I think they'll try to slow it down and build on that defensive success they had against A&M, but that's just an absolute guess. So it's a big game. It's a quad one opportunity. Arkansas is good. They're playing well. They um they they've won two of their last three. Did lose to Georgia on the road, but at home they've been better. Won their last two home games last week, and played well in those games. Crushed Tennessee, which was a big result for them. And they're fighting for the NCAA tournament lives. And uh, LSU is fighting for NCAA tournament seeding. So it's a big matchup. It's a big opportunity for LSU. Excited to see what happens, and excited about uh, about this 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 March run for LSU. It's March. It's officially March. John Rothstein's fired up. I'm fired up as well. So. 
that'll do it for me uh, on today's show. Um, thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating, a review, a subscription. I'm going to toss it to Mahmoud abdul Rauf's press conference from last week. I think it's about 30 minutes long. Um, so if you if you want an hour of boot up content, um, here it is. Uh, if you don't, listen to what you want to listen to and and, uh, and, and do with what you will with the rest. Uh, but thanks for listening so far, and thanks for, uh, thanks for all your support throughout the season. Excited about this March stretch coming up, hoping to do a couple more podcasts um, than, than I have been doing, which has been more like weekly or every other week. Um, the schedule's been a little bit weird. It's hard to do um, podcasts on a Monday when they're playing on a Tuesday, and um, th- there's a quick turnaround. These Wednesday games make it a little bit easier. So I try to ramp up the uh, the podcast content over the next couple of weeks. Appreciate you guys being patient and, uh, and listening and supporting and all that stuff. So uh, let me go ahead and throw it to uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, and I will talk to you guys a little bit later. pleasure to be back. It's been a long time. Uh, I don't know how long. I don't know if it's 30 years, quite 30 years yet, but uh, a lot of great years here, uh, great experiences. We didn't win the big one with all the talent that we had, but we had a great time uh, with each other. Uh, uh, Like I said, a lot of people that I met over the years that I like to say contributed. Uh, You never, I think we all look to be successful. We never know if we're going to actually live out our dreams, but this was certainly uh, the beginning stages of that uh, for me, uh, attending this university, uh, being given the freedom uh, to explore, to be creative by Coach Brown. Uh, he saw something in me uh, and just and let me go, and it just so happened that the ball ended up falling for me for these two years. Um, but you never... You never do this alone. I don't think anything in life happens on your own. There's always experiences and people associated with your so-called rise to the top, Uh, teammates, coaches, uh, people that you've worked for, uh, people that have written, you know, rode the bench throughout the years, Father Bahi, uh, all those people uh, contributed to my growth. And, again, I'm just super excited to be here. Thank you. Jared Joseph, uh, Fox 44 in Baton Rouge. During your first two years, when did you really know that you could just excel and dominate on the court like you did? Um, knowing? <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know until I got a feeling that I could do that after my second game. Uh, the first game I had about 12 or 13. The second game was 21, and that's when things felt a little uh, usual. You know, it felt like I was back in high school on the playground. Not to sound arrogant, it just felt a little easy. But I didn't want to say anything. I was superstitious a little back then. I didn't want to uh, uh, interfere with the moment. And then especially after Dale Brown pulled me to the side after that game and he said, look, we need you to score more. So I said, I'll try. Uh, I think it was Louisiana Tech here. I had 48, and then it, at that moment, it's like, okay, uh, I think I can, I think I can do this. But you never truly know, because any 
anything can happen. And I was always expecting, and I think that's what kept me trying. I mean, training hard in the in the uh, the basement gym so much, because I was always expecting, okay, they're going to change things up, double team, triple team, um, but hoping that this type of thing would continue. But you never truly know. Yeah, you never truly know. Matt Houston, Channel 9, here in Baton Rouge. What do you most want to be remembered for? Oh, that's tough. Um, it would uh, have less to uh, – for me, Dale Brown used to say back in the day, uh, this was sort of his saying, you may know it better than me, that – uh, at the time, my name was Chris Jackson, of course, that Chris is a great basketball player, but he's a greater person than he is a basketball player. So when it's all said and done, basketball is just a tool. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the most important thing for me is uh, the person that I am and leaving that type of legacy. Yeah, just being a great person, uh, standing up for what's right. That means more to me. Than, than the game of basketball. Mahmoud, Craig Loper, Channel 9, WFB here in Baton Rouge. Uh, just curious, how much your upbringing in, in Gulfport kind of contributed to who you became when you got here? Some maybe things you learned from people you grew up with, your mother, or how did your upbringing affect who you were as a person early on in your LSU career? You know, I've been saying for years that your, your environment uh, has, has a way of molding and shaping you. And of course, that was the beginning of my education. Um, it was, it was, uh, how do I put it? Um, I don't want to say everything, but I wouldn't be who I am. And I know that's cliche, but really, uh, growing up in that environment, man, is, you know, uh, with Tourette's syndrome, with my mother, not having a father, the, the fortune coming across people, even junior high school, you know, Coach Brazil, Coach Jenkins with the, with the resume that they had in the game of basketball, Prince Jones, um, just the talent that came out of that area, constantly pushing each other and being hungry. Um, I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't be the player I am. If it, I really believe that if it wasn't for coming out of that environment. And I know there are a lot of people that come out of those environment, environments that don't excel. But, uh, you know, my, my upbringing, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles, never allowing me to use my condition as a crutch, right, uh, telling me that for every weakness God gives us a strength, and it's up to you to find out what that is. And, and, and it's, it's meant to make you stronger and not weaker and just constantly telling yourself these same stories. So uh, de definitely critical, yeah. Good to see hey, you what's again. going on? <laughs> yeah. I just talked to you, uh, David Grubb, Crest uh, yes. <laughs> City Sports. Um, you know, I've talked to you a couple of times during this process, but can you articulate your feelings about all those people, you know, big and small, who worked to try to make this day happen with you and for you? Man, you're asking a lot <laughs> to put all of that into a few. Um, You mean putting all of, not just this, but just period. 
Well, it goes back to what I began with. Um, I wouldn't, you know, the, the 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 success that I was fortunate to to have been able to, uh, the things I was able to accomplish while I was here, and then not just while I was here, just the, the man that I'm trying to grow to become, you know, as a human being, man. Uh, and I mentioned a few names before, uh, but, you know, the Gus Wiles, you know, the, the, the Jamie's on the bench, all of those little conversations and every single person that you come across, even walking through the quad and meeting people, some of the football players, the conversations that we have, and the little bits of nuggets that you're constantly getting. Because, you know, those things for me, I listen to people and I observe a lot. I don't always speak, but I, I definitely pay attention to my surroundings as much as possible and, and I process things. And... Uh, uh, I literally wouldn't be, uh, and I know it sounds cliche, but I really, uh, those relationships are priceless. And, you know, even Dale Brown giving me the autobiography of Malcolm, you know, uh, at, at that age when, you know, the way I viewed the world was so limited, and even still is limited, but the way I looked at myself and viewed myself and all of those things, man, it's just... I can't, I can't thank them enough. I can't thank God enough because sometimes even, like you said, those small things, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't put a lot of weight on, but I do. Uh, even a little smile sometimes. You know, smile can be charity, right? It can do something for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... The, the constant thing that I've been hearing and things happen when there's, you know, when it's time for them to happen is why does it take so long? And, and this is really nothing that I've just, I've never pushed for. I'm grateful, extremely grateful uh, for, for it. But, um, you know, all of those people, man, and, and I'll mention them tomorrow, but all of those people who, you know, and I'll mention Dale Brown, of course, but who spoke out, who kept the wheels turning, who wanted to see this happening. Uh, you know, this is definitely for them, you know, all the work that they put in for that. And I can't thank them enough for it. I'm still trying to process everything and make sense of it. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, when, the, when, when it actually happens, I don't know what my reaction's going to be. Uh, but... I'm, I'm I'm super thankful. Yeah, super thankful. Mahmoud, Scott Rabelais from The Advocate. Yeah. Uh, earlier this year, Pete Maravich was recognized for the 50th anniversary of him breaking Oscar Robertson's record. And you guys still hold all the scoring records, the career, the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. 50 years after his career and 30 years after your freshman year, more than 30 years now, are, are you amazed a little bit that, that they still, all those records still stand? And, and, and do you feel a connection, have you felt a connection before or after with, with Pete Maravich? Well, to answer the last one first, uh, I remember when I was coming out of high school and the uh, first time that I caught wind of some footage on Pete Maravich and just some of the things that he can do with the basketball. But he had mentioned something that I had found myself doing at an early age but never had a name for it. He mentioned the phrase mental imagery. And so from that moment and watching him and, and just that phrase itself, that, wow, he was, he's doing the same thing that I do 
you know, made me more connected to him and want to know more about him. Am I amazed at uh, that the record still still holds, especially now with how many threes people are jacking up and how well they shoot? <laughs> yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, and they say records are eventually meant to be broken. Now, I don't know about Pete's. Mine, <laughs> mine maybe. But, um, yeah, it's, I think you said 30 years. This wasn't even on the horizon for me. I mean, you know, I, my, my goal was, look, man, I want to be the best NBA player I can be, you know, and, and I want to be able to use that as a tool to help people. It was never my, you know, in my, in my thoughts, okay, I want to be the all-time leading scorer and freshman, and I want that right. I still pinch myself, and I'm not exaggerating. Anything I say, I'm not exaggerating. I literally still pinch myself. Uh, at a guy, what, literally 5'11 and a half, um, you know, out of Gulfport, Mississippi, you know, with with the odds in in so many ways, some people may look at being stacked against me, and still holding the all time you know f- freshman scoring record. And it's nice to know that everybody from LSU hold that record, even though Pete has three. So I, so selfishly, I like to see it continue for a while just because of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike Scarborough at TigerBait.com. Um, who are some of the former pl- class, uh, you know, teammates of yours that you stayed in touch with throughout the, the decades? And uh, you're going to be 51 in a, about a week or so. Yeah. Talk about your longevity. What, what, do you, what do you chalk that up to? Is it I think you, f- you fast and you stay lean? Is it, I'm sure everybody's always grilling you about how do you <laughs> stay healthy uh, heading towards AARP age. Yeah, yeah. Don't remind me. Um, um, Stanley Roberts, um, you know, we all have different lives, so it's not nowhere near as much when we were here, uh, Maurice Williamson at times, uh, occasion, uh, Vernell Singleton, who was my roommate my first year. Um, but, but as far as my, my still being here and still being able to play and, I just try to make it a lifestyle. Uh, I try to watch what I eat, try to get proper rest. Uh, for me, my faith is critical. It governs everything I do, even though, of course, I'm far from perfect. So uh, staying away from negative stress and, and just, constantly, just constantly moving. I have five you know, beautiful children, and, and now they're older. So you know, even when they were younger, getting them out there and, and, and playing with them and so these are these are the things that I just constantly do, um, but I believe those things for me: pray hard, work out hard, try to eat right, get proper rest, stay away from negative stress, and hope that you know all of that continues to work. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cobble, WBRZ TV here in Baton Rouge. You talk about the journey that you've been on, and I'm just curious: did you ever uh, think that this would be possible? Obviously, you faced some adversity and, and uh, earlier in your career. Did you, does it speak to maybe the perceptions of society in South Louisiana being able to change along with you and, and welcome you back? Is that anything that ever enters your thought process? And does it please you to know that maybe people have these fond memories of you and, and, and not necessarily as a controversial thing? When you say this was possible, you mean the retirement or the career? No. Yeah. Uh, well, as far as the career first, 
you have to believe in the possibility or you wouldn't work it. So I wouldn't have woke, woke up the way I did and trained the way I did if I didn't think that it was possible. Um, but again, as I said earlier, this wasn't even on the horizon for me. Um, having this type of impact on the game in particular. Uh, so, um, but going back to the possibility, yeah, it's always possible. But I didn't envision. I didn't envision this. I couldn't. I couldn't have written this if I couldn't have written it. You know, if if, if I had to this story this way, because uh, I remember our first interview, and he asked me. He said, "Well, what do you want your career to say for itself when it's over?" Okay, I was trying to be humble but realistic. I said, man, if I can average 12, 13 points and seven assists for my career, I think it'll be a decent career. Because I'm thinking, okay, these guys, 6'5", six, 6'7", six, whatever, they're going to be strong just as fast. It's going to be a challenge. But, my, of course, my, my goal was I want to dominate. I just I want to be great. And my first game was actually around 12 or 13. And then 21, then 48, then, thir- then 50. I'm like, wow. Um, um, so this is – again, I can't, I can't f- fully I'm, – I'm still, man, just trying to process it. I'm still trying to – I know it's going to hit me, and I hope it don't hit me when I get on that court tomorrow. You know, but but I know it's going to hit me at some point. Um, I'm just blessed, man. I'm blessed uh, to have for all of these pieces because there's so many guys that super talented. Some that probably by far way more talented and skillful than I am. And sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time, the right coach. I mean, everything just clicking on all cylinders. And I mean, it so happened that I, Fess Irving was here before I came, and I'm looking to play against Fess. And then I hear that he transfers for whatever reason because I'm coming. And, of course, I'm still not looking at it like, okay, I never conditioned myself to take things for granted as much as possible or say, look, oh, the door is, all, is wide open for me. There's no competition. No, I'm still, every practice, every game, I'm looking at Russell Grant. I'm looking in my mind that you guys are better than me, and I got to prove myself every day. And so, it, but it kind of worked out to where I was just given, given the reins, so to speak, after that first game, after that second game, and it just, it just opened up. So, uh, yeah, I hope I answered your question. Hey, Mahmoud, I'm just curious. With, with the platform that is the Internet nowadays, a lot of athletes are speaking on things like systemic oppression and police brutality. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think of the narrative in 2020 now where these big-time athletes with huge social media followings are speaking on these things. Do you like the direction or like a lot of of these athletes? Do you like how they're going about it um, nowadays? What what do you think about where that narrative is now? Um, I like some of it and some of it I don't, but but I think it's, it's very important. Um, look, we're human beings like everybody else. That, that goes without saying. Um, and the platform that we have, there's the old adage that to whom much has been given, much is expected. And um, 
I think in, in so many ways it's it's irresponsible for uh, you know for people to expect just because a person may be an athlete that they lose their citizenship in other ways in other areas. You know, we ask to vote, we pay taxes. There's so many. We we actually do everything else everybody else does, and to assume that our voices should be stripped because maybe okay, you're not considered a professor or a scholar. I don't think knowledge. By and far, sometimes we, we look at, okay, you should have this amount of knowledge and expertise before you speak. I disagree. I think if you have the smallest amount and you have a passion for it, this is the, this is the way you grow. If you've got a heart and you want to say something, say something. And that's how you get feedback. Then he may come back with something and say, ah, I disagree and why, and this is how you learn. Um, so I, I think it's beautiful. Um, but so there's some of it that, makes sense to me and it looks good and some of it doesn't. I do believe you should be informed to some degree, but I love it. Um, it's a huge platform and use it, use it. I mean, you know, we have, again, uh, the, uh, our families suffer just like everybody else's family, right? Uh, and as athletes, we go through our things, whether it's mental illness. I mean, there's a, we, we, we deal with the same experiences. You know, whether we're polit- respect of a politician or engineer, the same thing. So I love it, man, and I, and I, and I hope that they'll continue to do that because uh, a lot of people are listening, a lot of people. And I think athletes, by and large, not that, it, not that I can necessarily say, well, it's, it's, the, it's the best policy, but uh, it seems that the youth are listening, not that it's, but they're listening to athletes sometimes way more than their parents and politicians, right? So if you say something, just try to make sure that it's thought-provoking as much as possible. It's true. And, and own it, you know. And that's the thing, too. When you throw something out there, especially in this day and age, own it. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, uh, Glenn Gilbo, USA Today, Louisiana. Um, what are a couple of games that you still think about when you're at, at LSU or remember well or big wins? And, and just what, do you, what did you enjoy about LSU off the court with your teammates? Some of the big games, uh, Georgetown, uh, Notre Dame, uh, those were, I mean, with, with the amount of fans that came out, attention to those games, beating UNLV. Two years in a row. Um, uh, of course, those games that kind of put me in the spotlight, the Louisiana Tech, the Florida, because they had like a laundry list of All-Americans, and it was at Florida. Um, the game I had nine points, the only game I scored under double figures, because that was Auburn, because I was uh, in my feelings. <laughs> so I think about that. Um, and you said something else. I'm trying to remember. What you enjoyed about LSU off the court? Man, I just, I just, you know what? I enjoy my teammates. Um, uh, I enjoyed the campus uh, life. Um, but most of my time, really, I, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't really go out. I didn't do the, most of my time was spent in this basement that I think was now what volley, volleyball. You know, I spent a lot of my times in that basement. 
And uh, because for me, basketball was life or death. You know, I didn't see a future for myself academically. So I knew, look, if I'm going to have a chance of being successful, I got to give everything I have to this game and, and hope that it works out. So, um, but, uh, man, I just met, you know, the, the leadership that, and I know it's related to basketball, but it's kind of off basketball too, man. I mean, I really value, when I first got here, man, Ricky Blanton was like special, you know. Here you have a person that's been here all of this time, and I'm a freshman, and he not ever gave me the impression in how he looked at me that there was any, uh, any feelings of jealousy or envy. You know, he was willing to just, man, share with me the knowledge he had. He was supportive. And for me, he exemplified literally what leadership meant, you know, like selfless. And, uh, and I know Dale Brown said, you know, he talked to him and he bought into that idea. And then Wayne Sims as well. Um, these guys were, were special to me in terms of just how they conducted themselves and how they were as, as individuals. But, man, a lot of people. Uh, I appreciate the, the struggle because, um, man, we had a game one night, man. It was late. And, you know, sometimes athletes, we, we can, human beings, we can be pampered, but especially athletes in certain situations. And I try to stay away from that. But I remember one game we had, uh, we ended up, it was late, man. I, we had a, uh, to hand in some assignments the next day. And I can't remember her name, but they assigned to us some tutor. And we had to go around, go through the quad and sit in some office and that's one of the few times I'm like, man, just give me the answers. It means I'm ready to go to bed. You know, and you sitting there, she's sitting there and trying to make you think, and it's like 11, 12 o'clock at night. I can't think at this time. You know, but we had to literally, we stayed up all night. And as soon as we went to bed, like an hour or so, I mean, I almost mishanded my work in because, I mean, it was that late. So you, you really, when you get older and you go through stuff like that, man, you look back, you don't like it then. But but you appreciate it when you get older. Yeah. I don't know how close or not you are with the current LSU team, but what do you think about this current era of LSU basketball? You know what, man? Uh, the game has changed. Um, from from I, I don't look at it a whole lot, but um, you know when I do look at it, man, uh, just generally speaking. Um, I'm just, man, I know what it takes, and we all do. All of us are successful uh, in our own fields, some degree, some, quote, unquote, more than others. But, man, we know what it, know, know what it uh, means uh, or we know what it takes to be able to get to this level and compete. And so I just, when I look at the game, it's more so, man, I'm, you know, I'm looking at details, of course, and, and skill level, but I'm more so, man, I'm just rooting for guys. I just want guys to make it. And, and make it the right way, you know, do the right thing, uh, take care of people, take care of your families, you know, uh, be a benefit to humanity. Uh, but the game has changed, uh, and I haven't really watched it a whole lot, um, so I can't really get too specific. But just generally speaking, I'm just rooting them. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing them all much success in everything they do. Yeah. Uh, I signed a contract again uh, to play, so I'm looking. I'm loving it because the younger they get, like I said, I don't know if people were listening earlier. Uh, it excites me because 
if I get the best of them, they look bad. And if, the, if it's a close match, they look bad. And then if they happen to get the best of me one game, they're going to say, the man's 51 years old. So I say, you got more to lose than I do. So it's easy to play. <laughs> yeah. Coach, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.